Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is James P. Friel. I'm super excited about our show here today. Dean Holland is here in the house. I'm not as excited that Dean's here, but that's typical. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I might as well introduce him though. Dean, how's it going, man? <laughs> hey, <laughs> you miss me, really. You just don't like to say it in public. I don't like to say it in public. It's embarrassing to me. <laughs> But I'm good. How are you? My furry-faced co-host. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm good. I, uh, I trimmed down my beard quite a bit, and um, I almost I almost considered shaving it, Dean. So I was almost non-furry-faced. I expected, actually, not only am I disappointed, I expected it to go the other way. Um, <laughs> what with the climate change you've recently gone through in your move? Well, it's funny because it did go the other way for a while, and I was very grateful for the warmth with the cold weather here in Boise, although it's not as cold as our uh, where our guest lives today. He lives in Canada. Um, but, man, I don't know. I just started feeling like I was better off in the wilderness with a really long beard, and I didn't feel like I was part of society anymore. So <laughs> I tried to down. And uh, <laughs> so that's right. <laughs> this ever question, like, where, what should I do with this thing? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, enough enough about that. We have, uh, we have an amazing guest on the show today. Um, he's not only doing cool things in his own business, but he's really got uh, some amazing programs that are helping other businesses in their local markets. I'm super excited to get into it. So we've got Chris Cooper on the show today coming to us from Ontario, Canada. Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm great, James. Thank you. And you don't have a beard, just for the record, so that everybody listening knows where you stand with the beard situation. Uh, Canadians are too polite to grow beards. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to offend Americans. That's right. <laughs> now, now, Chris, do you ride a horse into work, or do you actually drive a car? Um, no. So uh, only the Mounties are allowed to own a horse in Canada. Um, or else we'd have to ask the queen for permission. And I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure Dean could probably put in a good word for me. Yeah. <laughs> Dean is in tight with the queen. In fact, I think they went bowling the other night. Isn't that right, Dean? Uh, it's actually polo we play with the queen. Right. You did the whole horse thing and everything with her? Correct. Correct. Just in the back garden there, the backyard. <laughs> the back garden. <laughs> and, and, not, and Nottingham where uh, he played with the queen and the sheriff, which is really <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I take from the poor and just give to the queen. <laughs> so, uh, so Chris, you've got, um, you've got this thing called Two Brain Business, which I really want to get into because it's a super interesting thing. But before, before we get into how you are helping people and what you're doing, can you tell us a little bit about your background and like, why you're even doing what you're doing? It's always interesting to me you know, how people landed. Yeah, so I started as a gym owner and, uh, you know, I opened a gym in 2005. I'd already been a fitness coach for about nine years at that point. 
And I just thought that the only way that I was ever going to make a living here was to buy myself a job, right? Same thing that many entrepreneurs go through. Uh, I can make more money on my own kind of thing. And then um, it was going okay for a while. And then I opened a second location uh, that was actually a CrossFit gym. And uh, things started to go south, not because of CrossFit, but just because I had no idea how to actually run a business. So, you know, after a few years and, and very near bankruptcy, I locked into an amazing mentor. Uh, it saved my business. And every step that I took with this guy, I said, um, I'm going to publish this online. And so I started blogging the whole experience. Other people started reading the blog. CrossFit was a kind of a burgeoning media presence at that point. And they were sharing the blog a lot. And I, I started getting invited to come and speak at other gyms. And, you know, the, the whole kind of CrossFit subculture was still small, but very, very tight. And so they don't trust anybody outside. You know, it's just, it is just like a cult. So going to some of these seminars, I realized that I had to have something to hand out. And the cheapest way for me to create a handout was to self-publish a book on lulu.com and just you know, ship it to this gym. And so I just took, you know, the top 12 out of maybe three or 400 blog posts that I had at that point and cut and pasted them into a book. And, and I was just basically using this online book publisher as a photocopier. And now that book is the best selling fitness business book of all time. And it's, it's almost exactly the same, like there are no page numbers. So I started getting invited to mentor other people uh, that book was called Two Brain Business because, you know, I, I think that a good entrepreneur has to have a good balance of left brain thinking, which is logical and um, orderly and process based with right brain, which is empathetic and relational and creative. And so since then, I, I started getting calls to mentor mostly other gym owners and now other professionals in the service industry. We have about 400 clients worldwide. We have 12 mentors that are on every continent. And uh, we're really trying to help entrepreneurs be the cornerstone that their communities need uh, to kind of kickstart their economies. That's awesome, man. So, so this book that you just basically copy pasted from your blog post, like launched your entire business. Yeah, yeah. We're a, a worldwide, you know, multinational corporation right now. Um, but, you know, the primary lesson from the book was that you focus on relationships first. And that's what we do as a mentorship practice too. We don't, we don't sell videos on how to treat your clients better. We actually get on the phone and talk to gym owners and we, we do about worldwide over a hundred calls a week. You know, mentors are live on the phone or on zoom with people. And then we have a bank of, you know, a hundred plus modules in an online university, but everything always comes back to how do you solve the problem? And then how do you solve the problem best? So give me an example of what, like, so, so back up a little bit in your own story. And you said, you know, you, you were big in the fitness industry, you were enthusiastic about it and stuff like that. And I think that's pretty much the case for a lot of gym owners. They're like, oh man, I need to have my own gym. And then they jump into it and they're like, oh, like, what did I do? And so when you were going through all of that, what were some of the mistakes that you were making that you figured out how to overcome and now you're helping other people well i think it's true really for any business not just the fitness industry but the same mistakes that michael gerber outlined in his his awesome book the e-myth you know we're all buying ourselves a job and then you know we're, we all think that if we're just amazing at our job that we're going to have a successful business like i'm going to have the best shoe store because i'm amazing at 
being a shoemaker. And that's not true. Um, in the fitness industry, that's especially true because most professionals think that if they get results for their clients and their clients are pleased that they'll just refer their friends and then they'll be busy and that's it. You know, five years ago in my market, um, the term, if I build it, they will come. It wasn't a joke. People actually believed that, that they had to have the biggest and best gyms and um, that's led to a whole host of problems. The other thing is that, so people believe that if they're really good at their job, they're going to be successful at business. What they need to understand is that when you level up, you have to be very good at the next level. So if you're, if you're going to be a personal trainer, be the best personal trainer. But if you're going to own a gym, be the best gym owner. Stop being a personal trainer. And so, you know, over the years, and the lessons never stop, you guys know this, uh, but over the years, as we've added more and more in our curriculum, uh, we've been able to turn gyms around and, and change a, a lot of lives because if these gyms go away, then nobody is helping these clients get healthy. Awesome. So, so when you say like be the best business owner that you can be, like what, is, what does that look like? Yeah, so I think it's, it's constantly being aware of the value of your time as the owner, um, putting lower value roles into the hands of other people. So for example, you know, Michael Gerber, I mentioned the e-myth, he'll say, break down all the roles in your business and then break down all the tasks for each role and assign them. But, but what the e-myth doesn't give us is like a process for moving out of those low value roles. Most business owners, they're going to say, well, I could pay somebody to sweep my floors in my, my haircutting, you know, studio work. Um, or I could just do it myself and keep that 15 bucks. But what they should be doing is taking the toll or calculating like what is the value of that time. So yes, you could take an hour at the end of the day to sweep your floors, or you could take an hour at the end of the day to build a sales funnel. Which one is going to have a far greater return on your time? Which one is going to get you more revenue? Which one's going to find you new clients, new markets? Which one's going to get you home to watch the hockey game with your kids? You know. So our process is basically like, Identify the roles, do a time valuation, move you out of the lowest value role into a higher value role, and then move you out of the next lowest value role and gradually work you up to the point that we call perfect day, which is just when you have a choice of what you do, how you spend your time uh, and how you're rewarded for it. Awesome. So how is like, so how is also this stuff made a difference like for you and your life? Cause you're, like you were your original uh, case study. Yeah. I mean, so my gym was failing. Uh, it was practically bankrupt. And I thought that I needed like a silver bullet marketing strategy, but um, I had poor retention. People would sign up and then quit. I was wildly undercharging for my service. I mean, if, if you guys looked at the math, you would have said, there's no way this business could ever possibly be successful because he would need more clients than he could ever serve. You know, I had no processes or systems in place. So clients just kind of came in and did whatever the hell they wanted. And I was trying to keep every client, serve everybody instead of just identifying who my best clients are and working my service to fit what they wanted and then trying to get more people like them. And so over the years, as I built those systems and I started keeping people around longer, keeping higher value clients, not dealing with the headaches, my time got more and more free. I started writing more and more, spending more time mentoring other gyms, collecting the data from a broader data set. Uh, and it just kind of, the snowball kind of keeps growing. And now I own a couple of buildings. One is adjacent to the gym. That's where I'm sitting now. The only time I really set foot in the gym is to exercise. I don't have to manage it. 
Um, I don't have to train the trainers. I don't do any of that stuff. You know, it's interesting just to jump in, sorry, because obviously um, we're speaking about sort of the fitness industry here with, with yourself, Chris, but it's it's crazy how universally applicable to, to all businesses exactly what you just said really is. And I, I can totally relate with that myself in a sense of, we went through a similar kind of big problem, not in a sense of we weren't bringing the money in, in my main company. Um, we were, but we were bringing in a lot of the wrong type of customers that I wasn't actually mm. passionate about working with. You know, people, we normally work with people in the earlier stages of their businesses, online businesses, and we were dealing with a lot of unrealistic people that had unrealistic expectation. And whilst on the outset, you might think we had a profitable business on the inside, it was a real nightmare, you know, working with a ton of the wrong people. And, and I just wasn't personally fulfilled as the business owner. And it sounds like, you know, with yourself, like you're saying there with your gym, your experience was that, you know, you had many problems, but you're also bringing in the wrong clientele into the door, which is uh, interesting. I think that a lot of people could probably relate with that in their business. Yeah, I know that we're going to be talking about funnels later, probably, but I, I think you just brought up a huge key there, Dean, and that is you don't want everybody to make it all the way through and, and in your door and paying you money, right? I mean, right, exactly. I, I'm not sure if you guys take things as personally as I do, but if I have one client who I'm going to see at 11:30 on Tuesday morning, and I don't like them, then I'm going to spend all day Monday dreading that appointment. I'm going to spend all day Wednesday thinking about it. Like, oh, why did I say that? Why did they do this thing? And that's going to reflect the service that I give every other client. And, and that's where it becomes expensive is the way that it affects all of your other client relationships. So, yeah, I'm a huge proponent of that, removing distractions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm in a catch-22 with this podcast, to be honest, because in one hand, I get to come here and spend time and listen to awesome people like yourself. But on the other hand, I also have to spend that time with James, which, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of... Yeah, seeds and weeds. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an opportunity cost. There's no question about it. Um, and it's it's a cool topic that you're talking about, too, Chris, because I don't think uh, a lot of people really take the time to Think about opportunity costs. Obviously, Dean makes the trade off to be here with me. But but as as an example, like when you when you say yes to something, you're saying no to like everything else. And the and the reverse is true. Like when you say, you know, no to everything, then you get the opportunity to say yes to things that you want. And that includes the things that you were talking about, right? Like, like where am I gonna spend my time? Am I gonna spend my time mopping the floor? Am I gonna spend my time you know, figuring out who my ideal customer is, like which one of those has longer term value potential. That's something that a lot of people don't get. And one of my favorite things that I've heard Warren Buffett say is that the difference between successful people and everybody else is that successful people say no most of the time. And the difference between extremely successful people and everybody else is that extremely successful ones say no almost all of the time which means that they're saying no to almost everything that comes their way, except for the one or two things that they're saying yes to, and they're going all in a hundred percent on those things. And like, that's, that's how you create focus. And if you're focused on the right things, it's how you create momentum. Do you guys think that's part of the natural maturation of, of an entrepreneur though, that, you know, when we all started, we're so terrified that we're going to take anything we can get. And over time, as you gain confidence, you know, maybe you're okay to say no once in a while. Do you guys think that's natural? 
you know, one of the things, if I look back for me, like when I was in stages of my business where things were struggling, I would look back and say, I was probably afraid to say no for fear of saying no to the wrong opportunity that could actually succeed and, and work for me. And so for me, I think I used to say yes to pretty much everything for fear of missing out, I guess, on the thing that could have been the one thing. That was always, I always look back and I always remember in my head, always thinking, what if this is the one? So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's a really good question. And I think it's, it's definitely part of the evolution, but I don't think it's a natural part of the evolution because you still see people who are, you know, running businesses for years and years and years and don't get this concept because I think it's a counterintuitive concept. And there is like this level of fear and scarcity that a lot of people have. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have like, man, I got to, you know, I got to make money here. I got to save money. You know, we've got to pay the bills. We got to do all these things. So I, I, I can't pay that person 15 or 20 or $30 an hour or whatever it is to do that job. I have to do it myself. And they like continue to put themselves in this self-imposed prison of not thinking that they can actually ascend to the next level. And so for me, like I, I totally resonate with this. I think earlier on, not even clients, but opportunities, right? Like the more successful you are, the more opportunities you have to do different and cool things and the better you have to get at actually saying no so you don't scatter your focus. But for me, it was about working with the right mentors and the right people who helped me understand, you know, it's okay and it's actually a good thing to do this. So, so Chris, I, I totally think it is part of the evolution, but I think it's anything but natural. I'm kind of glad to hear you say that, James, because I don't think I would have gotten there on my own. I was running scared for years and, and I probably would have given up, but it took a mentor to say to me, slow down, let's look at thing from the 10,000 foot view and, and we need to start with this thing first. Um, I would definitely not guess right on my own. And even now working with very high level mentors, most of their job with me is to say, you can't do everything. Uh, let's pick these three things and focus on them in 2018 and, and put everything else on your 2019 calendar. Yeah, totally. And this is, you know, everything, everything in life and in business is, you know, you've got, the same thing can be it's, it's equal and opposite blessing and curse, right? And the and blessing of being an entrepreneur and the thing that's amazing is that you have all of this creativity and all of these ideas and you're like, man, we can do this and we can do this. And you just like see opportunity for creation and making things happen and stuff like that. You know, that's what fuels, you know, growth and innovation and all the cool things that, that we love and are passionate about. But at the same time, that that way of seeing the world can cause distraction, right? And it does cause distraction. And people like who have the more creative you are, sometimes the harder it is for you to be able to narrow down your focus and, and choose the things that are going to be most strategic for for helping your business grow and, and helping you grow as an individual and as a person. It's just sort of this this interesting and cool game that we get to play is that let's harness the creativity and use that tool when it's appropriate. And then let's also use the tool of focus when it's appropriate so that we can bring that creativity to life and uh, use it to serve people and make money. 
Can I and I just just to add something else as well. I don't know what you you both think about this, but this is this is an experience that I've been having recently, because actually I, I'm I'm kind of going through some of this stuff now in, in myself in the sense of. Um, as we've grown the company and we moved into this office, grown the team and uh, lots of great stuff is happening, I've had to be very uh, much more stricter with my time and where I allocate it, just like, you, just like we've been speaking about. And one of my experiences has been is actually the people that are used to how I was previously, how I used to act and how I used to be with my time, some of those people are actually having a hard time dealing with me changing and adapting and being more strict with my time. I don't know if you guys have have had that experience. For example, let me just just give you an example so it's it's a bit clearer what I'm talking about. Normally, let's say people on Skype or people that work for me but they're virtual, as in they're not in the office here with me. They would be used to just being able to hit me up on Skype and me drop everything that I was doing to to see what's going on there. Whereas as we sit here now, I'm kind of like no, I'm not to be disturbed. I'm doing what I'm doing because this is the, you know, this is a, a high priority task I'm working on, but I'll, I'll have some time later on. And I've kind of noticed that um, with certain people, they have a hard time dealing with that. I don't know if you guys have gone through any experiences. Well, John Maxwell actually wrote a, an excellent book on this that really helped me out, Dean, called The Five Levels of Leadership. And the most profound thing that I took away from that book was you cannot reach level five work until you've completely replaced yourself at level four. So if people are still reaching out to you on Skype, Maxwell's advice, I think, would be they need to reach out to someone on Skype. It, it might not be you. So he would say, look at the questions they're answering or asking and find out why those questions aren't being answered and then train them. Uh, not just on your path, but on their path too, and how to move to higher value roles themselves. All right, I'll have to grab that. Thank you. I think one of the things like that's that's part of this conversation for me is understanding that you like you just sort of alluded to, Chris, your role as the entrepreneur is not just to ascend and evolve yourself. It is to actually help all of the people that are around you do do the same. You know, so for me, you know, to your question, Dean, when when I first got really insistent on having uh, an assistant and people help me with you know, my schedule and logistics and all the different things that go along with you know onboarding clients and everything like that, and and I knew that that I that's what I needed to do, and I think certain people were like, man, like why can't we just like schedule this thing right now? Or why can't I just talk to you about this? Like, can we just jump on the phone real quick? And I think sometimes in an effort to be like, you know, um, a nice guy or helpful or whatever, we put ourselves in situations that aren't ideal. And so it's also an opportunity for you to say, no, like this is my role in the company and I actually don't do everything. Right. I have other people helping with this and, and then moving those people to positions where they can continue to grow. Because I see, I, mean, I see our role as entrepreneurs as people who help expand the pie, not just cut it up, right? Like we have the ability to create bigger, more uh, amazing opportunities for abundance and, and all sorts of stuff. And that doesn't happen if you hoard everything to yourself. And it sort of like restricts that free flow of energy and abundance and and uh, and and money. Like it just cuts it all off. So it's it's an effort in learning to be okay that you're you actually can't do everything and you're not good at everything and you shouldn't be doing everything. 
thing. And that's why you have people. Yeah, I, I think where a lot of owners get stuck is they'll say, well, I'm not making enough money right now to hire a COO or an assistant. Uh, and so as soon as I make more money, I'll hire that person. But they're never going to be able to hire that person until they hire that person. You know, they, they won't have the freedom with their time to create the value that will pay for that person. So we typically start with like the lowest value role that we can find because that's going to be the most inexpensive. And we're going to commit them for three months. We want you to hire a cleaner. Um, you're going to commit for three months. Here's what it's going to cost you. Here's how much new revenue you have to generate uh, with this time that we've just bought back for you. And if that works, then we're going to keep you know repeating this model. And uh, you know I had to go through that in 2009 as a gym owner sweeping my own floors. I have to go through it now as the head of a multinational mentoring practice. And it, it's always just constant time valuation. And a couple of tricks mentors have used with me to, to help me get to that because, you know, knowing the right answer is only one side of the equation is number one, actually knowing what my time is worth. So last year, my time was worth $500 an hour. Now it's closer to $5,000 an hour. So you have to ask yourself, like, am I doing a $5,000 an hour task? Um, and the other thing was, would it be more helpful to somebody else if they could take this role? You know, am I really the best for them or would they enjoy it more? Yeah. Or are they better at it? Some people are just better at things, right? You know, and like, I'm, I'm super big on, you know, personality profiles and understanding how to draw out people's unique talents and abilities and things like that. So I think people seem to seek like validation in like these really weird ways and it shows up in their business as, and, and that the result of it is uh, lower growth and revenue than they could really be having. Yes. So I think you actually touched on something else there too, James. And that is um, now we're entering the sphere of not just, you know, I'm the only one who can do this right, but also um, the willingness of an entrepreneur to martyr themselves. So when, when things aren't going well and your family's not making enough money, the love language that you're going to use to show your family how much you care is, I'm going to work myself to death. You know, I, I can't provide enough, but damn it, I'm going to give everything I've got. I'm going to martyr myself. No, I'm not tucking my kids into bed at night because I am working to put shoes on their feet. And, and that was me. I really regret that I didn't find a mentor sooner, um, especially with my oldest kid, because that's what was happening. There's the personal aspect of all of this, right? So it's one thing to say, cool, you know, I want my business to make more money or I want to have free time. And you got a lot of these you know, people who, you know, post these great pictures on Instagram that they're traveling all over and they don't appear to ever work and all that stuff. And I think that's like interesting, sexy. and That's part of the reason why some people want to own their own business and stuff like that. But, you know, the, losing the opportunity to connect with the people that are most important to you because you're doing things in an incorrect inefficient way is heartbreaking, right? Like you, you, you're always like going back to the thing that we talked about earlier, everything that you're saying yes to, it means you're saying no to something else. And when you're saying yes to, you know, mopping the floors at the gym, you're saying no to going to your kid's little league practice. Or when you're saying, you know, yes to staying up really late to do your own, you know, uh, bookkeeping, you're, you're saying no to, you know, maybe going on a trip or a date night or something like that. And it's just, there's, there's real 
legitimate consequences to these decisions that you, nothing is cost free, like everything costs something. And so you've got to really evaluate, like, what is this costing me to just choose to believe that I have to be the one to do these things? Exactly. So, Chris, what, like, I want to know a little bit more about this two brain stuff that you're doing. I, you said at the beginning of our conversation, you know, you've got, you know, the left brain and, you know, right brain and all that. You think entrepreneurs need to really exercise both of them. Can you talk a little bit more about that? influence the business that, that you've grown and how you really help teach people stuff. Yeah, James. So um, one of the companies that I own is called Ignite and we work with uh, people who have behavioral challenges and we also work with a lot of people who have autism or special abilities. And I know that special abilities is kind of the PC thing to say, but I really believe it. Like people who have autism have the ability to focus intensely for extremely long periods of time on one thing. And I think we can learn a lot from that. But the key is that, you know, we spend a lot of time in, in this practice in Ignite in balancing out the left hemisphere of the brain, the, you know, the logical, the calculating, the organizing side with the right side, the, the empathetic, the creative, the color side. I think a good entrepreneur has to be both. I think very few people are. Um, it takes training. I've been practicing working on um, my logical side and my empathetic side for years and years and years. It's exhaustive training. It's, it's like very hard physical training. Uh, and so we provide mentorship because nobody is good at both sides of their business at once. We'll frequently get um, a gym owner come in, for example, who is extremely passionate, you know, to the point of martyrdom uh, about helping their clients. And they will work a 15-hour day every day for five years until one day they wake up and they just can't do it. They'll work themselves to depression, exhaustion, bankruptcy. They need help with left brain tasks. They need me to say, here is exactly what your time is worth right now. Here's the math. I'm going to do it for you while I'm teaching you how to do it. Other business owners that we have, they want to know what funnel do I need to put into place? You know, how can I run this entire business from behind my screen? And there are, there are many businesses in which you can do that. In the fitness industry, that we're not one of them. It's a relationship business. You do need to know how to do those things, but you also need to close your laptop and shake some hands. And so with those people, we teach them like how to shake hands, you know, how to buy coffee and walk next door to your, to your neighbor and, and have a conversation. And, and so Two Brain was really put together um, to coordinate kind of both sides of the business and, and help people who are dominant at one side get better at the other and help the people who are okay at both get really amazing results from their business. I think it's kind of evolved um, as we've matured into uh, keeping people aware of the higher level picture, really zooming out uh, on the entire service industry and saying, here are the coming trends. Here's how you can do things better. Um, you guys are experts at funnel marketing. 10 years ago, funnel marketing looked quite a bit different, didn't it? You know, I mean, we could have still called like putting flyers on car windshields, maybe funnel marketing back then. I don't know, but it can help anybody in any industry, but it's always changing, right? And so we try to stay on top of that because most of these people are so busy in their business that they don't have time to work on their business. Awesome. That's super, that's super cool. I love how you broke that down. And, and, wh and where, uh, where can people find out you know, more about what you're up to like, in your books and all that stuff? 
we publish every day. We have blog posts, videos. If you're in the fitness industry, everything is on twobrainbusiness.com. And um, you'll get a love letter from me every morning. And uh, we'll explain some higher level concept or maybe just kind of give you some of my personal experience that will help you over a hump. If you're not in the fitness industry, the website is twobrain.com instead of twobrainbusiness.com. And that's where we keep the lessons a little bit broader. Uh, we have clients who are photographers, videographers, who own schools, who are hairdressers, uh, mostly who serve people face-to-face. And we do help them out with, uh, with their funnel, like their marketing and stuff. Uh, but after we help them with their, their business processes and time valuations and retention strategies and sales. Awesome. You, you hear that? I could, get a, uh, I could get a love letter. Chris, every day, you stopped sending those to me a while ago. <laughs> you get more like a hate note now. <laughs> I, I, get, I just get nasty grams coming from the UK. <laughs> just an anonymous sender. <laughs> can, can we spend like three minutes on love letters? Because I, I think that's a turning point for a lot of people. Yeah, I want to hear about it. You're, you're one of the first people that said that the way you communicate with your clients is through love letters. So let's, let's hear what you got. Okay. So, um, for years and years and years, I sent newsletters. Okay. And what I started realizing is I looked at the stats every day, you know, I, before I check my bank account, before I check my sales for the previous day, I check how many people read my stuff. Like that's the most important metric in my business. And so what I was noticing was the times when I really broke down, told a very personal story or gave more of myself away than I was really comfortable with um, that's when people resonated with it. And that's when they started writing back. And that's what led to the meaningful conversations that changed my life and theirs. And so when I'm coaching people to do email marketing, now I say, stop writing newsletters, uh, take your header off your emails, take the automated signature out, and you need to start writing love letters. And, and a love letter means that you're using an intimate tone. You know, we're all best friends here, first and second person only. Pretend that your mother has just asked you a question that you know the answer to. How would you respond to her? And so you're using more like informal speech. Um, you're using examples from your personal life. But what comes through is that you care enough to share these specific details, that you're proximate enough with your, to your audience that um, you, could, you could talk to them candidly one-on-one, -on -one, and that you have enough affinity with your audience to understand what they're actually going through and what they actually need. So in our case, you know, in our gym, when I had this kind of epiphany about a year ago that I needed to be sending love letters to my readers, my audience, instead of sending newsletters to them, um, suddenly a, a ton more people came back and a, a ton of people signed up again. And they were all people who were already on my list. You know, they were paying attention. They just weren't paying me money. And the key was that intimacy, you know, that I was answering questions that mattered to them. Instead of talking about the philosophy of how deep should you squat, I was saying, what do you do when you really want the triple mocha latte at Starbucks and you shouldn't have it because you're gaining weight? You know, how do you handle that? Right. So, I mean, looking at two brand business, there are, there are other consultants in the fitness space. You know, we're the largest practice in the world. Their Facebook pages, they'll have 10,000 likes. I have about 1,500 but we do millions more in revenues every year than they do because we focus on the people who are closest to us instead of just how many followers can I get. 
Yeah. No, I love that. It's one of those things where a lot of people say what they think people want to hear rather than saying what they feel, I think. And I think if you can, like it connects at a whole different level, doesn't it? And I think that's, that's ultimately, I guess what you're saying here is, you know, say the things that you feel and say the things that everyone else is feeling that nobody else is actually talking about, you know, be, be vulnerable, I guess. Yeah. Dean, I think a lot of that is, is understanding your audience too. Um, you know, I'll add another book on the pile here. Mike Michalowicz's Pumpkin Plan was a, a complete game changer for me, not just as an entrepreneur, but as a person. And Michalowicz is saying like, you need to identify who your best clients are and ask them what they want instead of just inferring what they want. So when I started this, you know, two, three years ago, I thought my clients would have said, oh, Chris's gym is the best because I get great results and the workouts are tough, but they're really fun. And when I started asking them, like, why do you come here? I was completely wrong. They didn't say any of those things. They said, I don't have to think when I'm at your gym because you tell me what to do. And (laughs) this is the only place in my life where somebody ever says, you're doing it right. And so when they started telling me those things, I started writing love letters to all of them saying, you're doing it right. And that's when we started really seeing sales increase. And more importantly, we started getting sales from the right clients, you know, people with whom that message resonated most. Yeah, I love that. That is a, it's a great concept. The, I've never heard it before. I don't know if you have, James, but I never heard that concept of being described as like a, a love letter. So I think that's awesome. I hadn't either. I, I think it's awesome, Chris. Thanks. I, uh, I really love the way you uh, just package that up. Um, and I can sense the, you know, the, the authenticity and, and the genuine care and concern in it. And I think there's there's no question to me that's like that's one of the reasons it resonates so well. It's just like, hey, like we're here and I'm trying to I'm trying to help you and serve you in this in this way, and that comes through. It's a totally different way to do the do the email marketing, which is really cool. Well, thanks, guys. So, so Chris, before we go, um, is there anything else that you want to uh, share share with the audience and uh, make sure that you know they they understand? Or, know how to connect and you've already given out your sites and they can go check out the stuff that you're doing and get the love letters and stuff like that. Is there anything else that you want to share with everybody? I don't think so, guys. I I really think that, um, you know, our entire philosophy is help first and uh, you don't have to feel like a salesman to sell. I think what you have to become good at as an entrepreneur is the ability to spot opportunities to help people. Um, You guys have helped me today. I've had a fantastic morning now because I was really looking forward to this show and uh, it's been great, you know, so from there, we'll see what happens. But if, if everybody takes one thing away from this, I think that's it, you know, really cultivate um, opportunities to help other people. And that always turns into good business. Awesome. And uh, Dean, I guess we'll let you get back to your polo game with the queen. (laughs) Yeah, well, we've actually called it off. There's a little bit of rain and it's starting to get dark. So I guess uh, I guess she'll just have to go and have a cup of tea and wait for tomorrow. I guess you'll just watch uh, <laughs> Downton Abbey on the Chesterfield then. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yes. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, just just in closing, uh, Chris, can I, can I just say, um, great, great show here. I've enjoyed, personally enjoyed having you as a guest. I've got a lot from this. And uh, I can tell you one of those guests that we've had where we've probably barely scratched the surface of the amazing value that you've got to share. So I just want to say thank you anyway. Oh, thanks, Dean. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much for being here, Chris. We uh, we definitely appreciate it. And Dean, uh, thanks for stalking me. Again, I can't seem to shake you. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, all right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Just a Tip. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to get free from the day-to-day operations of your business while making more money, visit me at jamespfreel.com forward slash autopilot. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.